0: Hi, this is Carl from Ukud Digital, and you're listening to the Eat Blog Talk podcast.
1: Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you. Go to your favorite podcast player, go to Eat Blog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave Eat Blog Talk a five star rating if you love this podcast, and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast, it adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Hi, food bloggers. Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, the podcast for food bloggers looking for the value and confidence that will move the needle forward in their businesses. This episode is sponsored by Rank IQ. I am your host, Megan Porta, and you're listening to episode number 313. Today I have Carl Ross with me. He's going to talk to us all about Google Analytics and how to display images from your blog for SEO and for Google. Carl is an engineer who spent many years in corporate technology consulting roles, which gave him a unique perspective on the application of technology, processes, and getting a return on your investments. It means he's spent decades helping customers make sense of technology products. 20 years ago, Carl started building recipe websites as a side hustle. At one point, he had over 50 sites online, each generating revenue he was pleased with. Then the Google Panda update tanked every single one of his sites, which was the right thing for it to do because they were very low quality, massively over optimized, and they had been churned out in mass. They deserve to get buried deep in the search results, according to Carl. (laughs) Today, only a couple remain online, and he only uses them for SEO testing purposes. Fast forward to 2019, and he started offering SEO services, and the food blogging niche was an obvious fit for him. While he works with bloggers in many different niches, food bloggers are his bread and butter. Hey, Carl. Thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
0: Fantastic. Thanks, Megan. Thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, I'm excited for this chat. I think it's going to be really valuable. But first, we would love to hear if you have a fun fact to share with us.
0: Uh, I guess my fun fact would be that I'm a Canadian that has lived in Australia for 20-something years. Um, So I have an accent everywhere I go. Everybody in Australia thinks I have an accent. Everybody in Canada thinks I have an accent. Yes, I, I have an accent in every country I go to.
1: Oh, that's funny. Well, I I kind of gathered that you had an Australian accent, so that was my take. Yep, yep. <laughs> yes, so that's cool. So, do you? What do you call home?
0: Uh, Australia. Yeah, it's been I've been there for twenty two years or so now. Um, I also did a stint in Indonesia. So, in the last probably ten years, uh, I've spent five of those in in Indonesia, where we had to essentially evacuate ourselves out of there at the beginning of the pandemic um, back to Australia. So that was, that was interesting.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah, that is interesting. All right. Well, you're here to talk about um, very technical stuff that not a lot of us love talking about, but it's very necessary yeah. to be a food blogger and at least learning about this and having a surface-level understanding of it. So your company is Uku Digital, Correct.
0: That's it, yeah. Okay. Digital.
1: And you've been kind of immersed in this world of SEO for how long?
0: Uh, it would be 20 years. Uh, like 20-odd years ago, I was building, we didn't even call them food blogs. I was building recipe websites, uh, built them all for myself. But they all kind of got destroyed in uh, 2011 when Google rolled up the, the Panda update.
1: Yeah, so you've been in this world for a while, so you know it very well. 20 years is a long time to be immersed in data and SEO. So you have some insights for us today because I know that Google Analytics 4 is a topic on everyone's mind. It's rolling out in, correct me if I'm wrong, but is it July 2023?
0: Yeah, July 1, 2023. They've basically told us that your existing Google An- Analytics or Google Analytics 3 will simply stop working, uh, as in it will stop recording new data. Your your data will still be there for a period of time, but as of July 1, 2023, no more recording in Google Analytics 3.
1: Do you know why they're making this change?
0: Um, I think there's some technical issues. It is a lot of data privacy as well. So I believe Google's being sued, actually, in the European Union, um ga3 records ip addresses and personally identifiable information which the the eu has said basically you can't do that anymore um so they've rebuilt uh, analytics from the ground up
1: so stuff that we probably don't need to know but we just need to know that it is changing and that ga4 is coming so what do we need to do to prepare for this
0: well at the moment um the most important thing to do is to get the Google Analytics for tracking code set up on your site. So we still have a year. Uh, it's early June, and we're recording this. So we still have more than a year before GA3 stops working. But for certainly for some food bloggers, you know, it's it's quite seasonal. So they may have uh, get a lot of traffic at Easter or Christmas or or things like that. So it's really important to have at least a 12-month window of data in there um, to work with.
1: And can you direct people where to go if they don't know how to do this? I did it on my site. I can't remember who urged me to do it, but I did it, and it was super easy. But do you have a place to go with like directions? Does Google, ana- Does Google have somewhere to direct us?
0: Yeah, there's a few places. Um, at the top of your analytics screen, it usually has a link which will take you somewhere, Um, Grayson Bell has written a pretty good article on how to set up GA4 as well so that's on on his site Um, and I think you're going to have a link to to a GA4 article I'm putting on my site where I'm looking more on how to use it once you've got it set up but I would probably direct people actually to Grayson's article it's it's very good article and um, when I was looking at putting something on my site I'm like well there's no point in me redoing what he's already done. I'll just link over to it.
1: <laughs> no need to reinvent the wheel, right? Sometimes, no, no exactly. Yeah. No. Um, and he is with—is it iMark Interactive?
0: Yes. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's iMark Interactive. Um, so the the article on my side, I've just linked straight to his page, saying this is how you insert the GA4 code. There's lots of different ways to do it, which which I guess could be an issue for some people. Some of the themes allow you to insert your code, Uh, sometimes you do it by plugins. So that's probably the biggest stumbling block actually is is figuring out how your particular side injects the current analytics code and then just paste the GA4 code right along with it. Don't delete the existing GA3 one, we wanna keep it going, but just insert the GA4 code right next to the existing stuff
1: and you said you want to have at least twelve months of data on this new GA four before it kicks in. So to do that before July first, twenty twenty two, would be really helpful.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's that's the that's kind of the timeline urgency. If uh, I guess if somebody's listening to this and it's after you know July one, twenty twenty two, it's it's still fine. Okay, you, you still want to get it going as quickly as you can, but. I, when I'm looking at data, I like to have the longest time period available. Um, and I really like to look at the seasonality of stuff as well. So that's what I'm trying to get everybody to do is is have a, have a year's worth of data in there to work with. So
1: we're not going to be able to look back at our data from that point on on GA3 at all? It's going to be gone?
0: No, not yet. So what Google said so far is that you will still have access to your existing data in GA3 for a minimum of six months. So that's essentially the very end of of 2023, maybe January 2024. We don't actually know when they're going to delete all the data, but they've said that they will. They've said they – I think they have to because of the privacy issues, but, yeah, they've said that they're essentially going to be deleting everything that's in, in GA3 at some point Uh, six months after July 1, 2023.
1: How do you recommend we log what we've done? I mean, I can see maybe a brand would want to know what was your traffic for the past two to three years. You know what I mean? So how do we retain that information?
0: Uh, You can export it out of there. So Google Analytics has got some really handy export features. Um, You can export, run a certain date range, and then export to Google Sheets. Um, I do that quite a bit when I'm working with data is actually get it out of out of GA and into a spreadsheet. So, yeah.
1: Do that sometime before the end of 2023.
0: Yeah, sometime before they actually delete it. And I'm assuming they're going to, as time goes on, they'll give us some more information about, you know, when the actual date of deletion is going to be, Um It'll be a pretty tricky time, like imagining, say, August of 2023. And if you want to compare your data, you're actually going to have to to get it from two different sources. So you, know, you need to export out of GA3 and then also GA4. It's, it's going to be a nightmare.
1: <laughs> oh, <Yeah. laughs> it's going to be a nightmare, everyone. So yeah. buckle in. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. The, last, the last half of 2023 is not going to be much fun.
1: Yeah, yeah, I can see that. But it's good to know. I mean, we have plenty of time. We can kind of mentally gear ourselves up for it. So it's good to have it on the radar.
0: And I I suspect that as the time gets closer, you know, we'll have more and more tools available to us. And um, it's certainly something I'm keeping an eye on and something I'll be be digging into. um, Because, yeah, for me, data is just... Data is key.
1: <laughs> so we'll have to do a follow-up interview maybe, you know, right around that sure. time and just kind of touch base then and see what's coming, what's changed, what's developed and all of that. Um, is there anything about anything else about Google Analytics 4 you wanted to mention? I know you want to talk about images, you know, being a big piece of food blogs, but is there anything on GA4 before we move on?
0: The data is there. It's, uh, I wouldn't be afraid of it. Um I see various posts around the internet where, where people are kind of freaking out, and it's very different. You, you log into GA4 and you, the screens look nothing alike. Uh, it's really hard for people to find anything, but the data's there, and I think it's going to get easier and easier uh, to, to pull it out as we go along.
1: Okay, let's move on to images. You believe that images are such a huge piece of food blogs and that maybe we should be paying a little bit more attention to them. Um, They can cause some problems, they can cause sites to slow down. So do you just want to talk through your thoughts on images on blogs?
0: Sure, sure. So this is something I still I run into quite a bit doing audits. Um, You know, one of the things I do is scan the site and I can actually get uh, a list of every picture on the site and the file size of every single photo, and I still see pictures that are you know measured in megabytes, um, two, three, four, I think ten megabytes. And Oof. Yeah. Imagine trying to load that, load that over a, over a phone system on on somebody's mobile phone. Like it's just. Yes, we're we're lazy loading. You're probably lazy loading with Rocket, but. But still, it's um, it's just gonna that page would be be a horrible user experience. So, so yeah, images. You know how how do we manage them? Uh, how do we how do you get the picture from your camera to your website? is is actually a really technical process. Um, that's that you know some people have got it down pat, but other people still struggle with it a bit.
1: Do you have recommendations on that? How to get them from your camera to your site?
0: Yeah, so I've put a bit of a process together um, that I give to all my audit clients and I've also put it on my website and I think you're you're going to link to it. Uh, but essentially, you know, when you take a picture on a camera, it'll be somewhere between two, three, four, five megabytes in size and getting it from the camera... Um, you want to take it off your camera and then you want to put it into some sort of photo editing software. And that's the part for me anyways, the part that's a bit tricky because everybody uses different software. You've got uh, Photoshop, you've got, um, I can't remember Apple's, Apple's version of photo editing software. Lightroom,
1: we have, there's Lightroom. yeah,
0: Lightroom. Um, I use one called GIMP, which has been around as long as the internet's been around, it seems like. So, you know, how you get this huge file off of your, off of your camera or your phone. Some people are, are using, you know, high-end camera phones. That's fine. Um, and basically, you want to edit it in, your, in whichever photo software you're going to use so that you have a width of, of 1,200 pixels. Um, we're still recommending a, a minimum width of 1,200 pixels, This comes from from Google's documentation uh, for their article schema. Um, I think it's Web Stories as well, I found it. But they're basically saying that they would like pictures to be a minimum of 1,200 pixels. And of course, then the height of the photo depends on the the orientation. So if it's a portrait mode photo uh, or if it's a landscape photo, you're going to have a different height but the width should still be fixed at uh, twelve hundred pixels minimum.
1: So it can extend beyond that. I've heard different. I think that it needs to be exactly twelve hundred, but you're saying twelve hundred minimum.
0: Exactly. You can you can go wider if you want to. That's that's fine. Um, that would be even more future proofing, I guess. Uh, but yeah, that's that's probably the minimum that we recommend at the moment. Yep.
1: So you export, and then what do you recommend for file format?
0: Uh, JPEG yeah still still jPEGs you know you can you can really optimize them down so I know Google's pushing their their own webP format um, I'm just not seeing you know the I'm just not seeing the data that shows that that's the necessity yet it could become one um, there's some other formats out there as well uh, that are coming so today I, I would still just use JPEG you know, you can get a you can get a JPEG file down to fifty k, sub one hundred k on your SOT.
1: That seems hard for me to do. I'm looking at my files now, and my twelve hundred pixel wide photos are saving at around between one megabyte and one point five megabytes. Okay. Do you have thoughts about getting them down further? How do we do that?
0: Yeah. So in in your photo editing software, whichever whichever one you're using there will be some sort of quality settings where you can export the photo um, and, you know, you can, in GIMP, for example, you can actually specify the file size. Other software has quality settings. So you want to bring the quality down so that the resulting file size is somewhere between, say, 200 and 300 kilobytes once you get it out of your photo editing software.
1: And people won't, I mean, that won't be visible, that, diminishing of quality
0: yeah there there is there is a trade-off in quality of course but when we think about the most traffic to food blogs you know is actually on people's mobile phones and those screen sizes are are pretty small somewhere in the range of 300 to 400 pixels so you know yes um there is a an image quality trade-off but um you know, I don't I don't notice it on a, on a mobile phone.
1: Okay, right. And most people do get their tra- a majority of their traffic from mobile, so that's something to keep in mind too. You probably won't notice it on mobile.
0: Exactly. yeah. and then and then you're still really not done. Um, once you get out of your photo editing software in that sort of 200 300k range, uh, you go and upload it to your WordPress media library. And if you're running something like ShortPixel or ImageFi, uh, probably probably the two ones that uh, I've worked with the most and, and would recommend, that's when you actually get it down to the, the sub-100K mark, you know, 50, 60, 70 kilobytes um, in size.
1: So you recommend ShortPixel?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Pixel, um, is my personal preference. Uh, image is also, is also good. Yeah.
1: All right. So that's just uploading for the blog post, the recipe post itself. Um, do you have insights as far as recipe card images and also feature images?
0: Yeah. So a lot of, a lot of times you can actually reuse the featured image for the recipe card. Um, the recipe card photo is really, really important because that's the one that should appear in the recipe carousel on the Google page. So if you if you type in a recipe search, um, you should get a recipe carousel at the top of the Google page, and the, that will pull the uh, recipe card photo um, if Google's doing it right. Sometimes it doesn't, but you know, 98% of the time, um, the Picture you see there will be the recipe card photo, so that's a that's a hugely important picture because that's the way people are seeing first about your listing in Google.
1: I'm going to tell you how I do it, and I'm really hoping this is right. So I usually use my my hero shot, so the one that I have at the very top of my recipe post. I use that same photo from the media library in my recipe card. Is that exactly good? okay? Yeah, exactly, Phew.
0: exactly. So you can it saves you some work because you can use the same photo in three different places. Um, Depending on the theme that you're running, you don't actually see the featured image on the page itself. So, lots of people are running Feast themes um, and you won't see your featured image anywhere on the page. It gets pulled into thumbnails from categories in the home page. So, you set the featured image but you don't actually see it on the page Um, But then you use the hero shot, like you've mentioned, and then you can use the same one in the recipe card. So three birds, one stone.
1: Yes, perfect. I like that. And I had heard someone saying a while ago in one of the groups I'm in that they were told to resize the featured image to exactly a square. So it was supposed to be 1,200 by 1,200 saved separately. So not something you already used from your post.
0: I think it depends on the thumbnail settings you're using. So again, I'm going to assume that quite a few of your listeners will be running Feast. So by default, I think the Feast does have square thumbnails. So that makes sense. There would be no cropping or anything. Um but you don't have to have square thumbnails with feast. You could have both portrait and landscape as well. So it really really depends on on what you're running um on your homepage and your category pages in terms of the orientation of your thumbnails.
1: Okay. That makes a lot more sense to me. Thank you for clarifying that. Um also just talking more in general about SEO. You know this, Carl. There's so much, right? There's like constant new information. There's old information we all have to learn. We could make SEO a full-time job on our food blogs for sure. But we don't want to do that because we have other things we like to do. We like taking pictures and we have social media and all of these other areas of our business that we need to keep an eye on. So where do you recommend we put our efforts with SEO? We can't do it all. So what do we focus on?
0: Yeah, I think this is a huge area for a lot of people is, you know, how do you, how do you spend your time in, in, in the day? Um, every food blogger, whether you've got 10,000 page views a month or a million page views a month, we all only have 24 hours in a day. And really zeroing in on the things that are going to bring you more traffic um, and therefore generate more revenue through ads, or if you're selling your own product, is is super important. Um, sometimes people will will read something on the internet and they're like, oh, I have to go and change all my pictures to 1,200 pixels, right? Like we were just talking about, and 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 I would say, no, you don't actually need to go and just um, change every single photo on the entire website. It's that 1,200 pixel recommendation for me, anyways, is just part of the wider you know, when you publish a page, what are the things you're going to do? Um, so yes, I think I think that's a huge problem. People uh, will will make changes because they've seen something on the net somewhere, and in in isolation, yes, it's the right thing to do, but it doesn't mean they suspend a week, you know, changing all the pictures, 1,200 pixels wide. Um, yeah. Huge, huge issue.
1: Yes, for someone like myself who has a lot of posts <laughs> on their website, I know a lot of food bloggers fall into that category too. It's really tempting to go back and like, oh my gosh, I have to change every single image. But you say our time is better spent just looking forward and, um, yeah, making a plan as far as like creating new content.
0: Yeah, and for for me, it's all about the data. You know, it's it's the Having an understanding of the you know the primary keyword for every single page on your site, um, understanding what the search volume is, the difficulty score, and what your current rank is, um, and then using that information to decide where to where to spend your time. Now, I I don't really focus too much on social media at all, so so everything I'm kind of saying is really SEO wise, but um, yeah, if, if a post is already ranking, you know, in the top three and it's bringing in traffic and you've already identified the best keyword for it and you're holding down the number one spot, but your pictures aren't 1,200 pixels wide, don't touch it. It's, yeah, do, do something else with your time, your limited time.
1: Let's take a really quick break from the episode to chat about rank IQ for just a minute. RankIQ is my favorite keyword research tool that is made just for bloggers. My food blog, Pip and Ebby, used to get wild Pinterest traffic, and I rode that wave for many years. Once the tides turned with that situation, I came to the conclusion that I finally needed to dig into SEO. For the first time ever, my organic traffic is on the rise thanks to Rank IQ. From January through April 2022, I published three pieces of new non-recipe content per week to my blog, all of which were researched and run through the optimizer within Rank IQ. My page views are up 43% year over year, and that number continues to steadily increase every time I check Google Analytics. Also, all of the non-recipe content I'm writing about in these posts supports my other content in some way, so this could be a positive signal to Google that I'm an authority in certain sub-niches within my blog. Go to rankiq.com to sign up and see for yourself how awesome it is. Now back to the episode. We all have limited time, so I think just having that permission to focus on the things that matter, everyone will thank you for that. Um, how do you recommend keeping track of all of this stuff?
0: Um, so I think there's there's four tools really that every every food blogger should be using as part of their in the toolkit, uh, obviously we have Google Analytics, which we were we've you know it's going to be a bit of a mess over the next year, uh, but it's still absolutely critical because Google Analytics will show you you know the pages that people are going to um, and where they're coming from, if it's Google or Pinterest or Facebook, you know you can you can see where your traffic is is first landing on your site. Um, the next tool which For me is super important is Google Search Console. Um, These are are both free products from Google and they're incredibly valuable. The difference between Analytics and Search Console is that whilst Analytics is all traffic from all sources, Search Console is purely Google itself. Um, And it gives you the the keyword data that you're missing from from Analytics. Many, many years ago, Google stopped actually passing the keyword that, that somebody searched and then landed on your site with. You used to actually see that analytics because they passed that keyword along. But I think they took that away from us like a decade ago. <laughs> so so now you have to go into Search Console to, to get access to the keyword data. And so, you know, how many impressions a keyword is getting and, and of course, how many clicks you're you're getting um, for your various pages.
1: I love Google search console. I didn't always used to love it, but it's for someone like me, who's not super data driven, like you are. I mean, I aim to be like you Carl, but I'm not, you know, it's not like in my DNA, but, um, I, it took me a long time to get to the place where I could stomach Google Google search console without just being overwhelmed. And like, what am I looking at in here? But once I just kind of force myself to get into it and dig in and learn it and get to know it. It is so gold. There's so much gold inside of there. So I encourage oh, people listening is. to just do it, right?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, get into Search Console, poke around, uh, have a play. And, you know, there's there's so many gems in there. Um, it's actually part, for me, Search Console is part of the keyword research process for existing pages, So, uh, I'd work with, um, I do a lot of content republishing with people. um, And sometimes there will be keywords that Google has already associated with a particular page that you haven't optimized that page for at all. So, um, but you're getting impressions in Search Console. So, you can go in, and if you filter by page, um, you can actually then sort by impressions rather than clicks. The default, you know, here I am sort of waving my hand around in the air, but we're not on <laughs> camera. Um, the default is, is clicks, but if if you move over to the next column to the right, it's impressions and sort by impressions. Sometimes what will happen is that keywords will kind of rise up to the top under the impressions column where Google's like, yeah, I'm giving you, you know, thousands of impressions for this keyword on this page, but, you're in like position eight, nine, 10, 11, something like that, and you're not actually getting the clicks. So you go, ah, oh, okay, Google, Google's already associated this keyword with this page. Well, I need to go in and you know, optimize the page for that keyword, maybe build some internal links using that keyword. And next thing you know, you've got a top three spot, uh, top three ranking, which should then put you into the recipe carousel, the top carousel.
1: Yeah, it's like there's little personalized nuggets hiding in Google Search Console that you don't necessarily know are there. But once you learn them, you're like, oh, my gosh, this is made for me. It's made for your own content.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it's you have all that data sitting there for pages that you already have on your site. Uh, of course, it doesn't work for for a new page. You haven't actually published yet. You don't have that data yet, but people who've got like maybe 500 recipes on their site and, you know, only a quarter of those pages actually bring in any substantial traffic, that's their prime candidates for content republishing, Um, you know, retargeting new keywords for the page. And as I was saying, I actually, yes, use keyword research tools by all means, but also um don't uh, don't forget about search console when you're doing keyword research for an existing page
1: now when google analytics turns to ga4 is our data in gsc going away as well
0: nope no they're completely oh good things yeah no they're completely different uh, products from google so there's
1: i was massively holding my breath there <laughs> yeah
0: no, no no impact on search console at all which is great
1: okay good yeah. that's great so for keyword research on existing data, you recommend going to GSC. What do you recommend for doing keyword research on new posts and new content?
0: Uh, I, I love KeySearch. KeySearch is fantastic. Um, you know, Keywords Everywhere is also pretty good. But I tend to bring everything back into into KeySearch. It's just such a good product. Um, I think it's very well priced as well. You know, some of these some of these big, all-encompassing tools like Ahrefs or SEMrush, um, they're like, a, what are they, 150 bucks a month. Um, I use them, but I don't use them for keyword research. I actually have a lot of problems with their, the quality of their data. Uh, so I find myself bringing keywords back to KeySearch and going and kind of vetting everything through KeySearch.
1: Yeah, yeah. I know a lot of food bloggers use KeySearch as well. It's a very popular one. And I agree. The price is so much more alluring than I I can't remember. I think SEMrush is somewhere. I don't I remember being a part of it for about a year and I was like, why am I paying this <laughs> much exactly. money? Exactly. Yes. No, I didn't really no. know what I was paying for. And every time I went in, I didn't really know what I was looking for. So I stopped doing that. And KeySearch is a great option. Yeah.
0: And the, the problem I find with Ahrefs or SEMrush in terms of keyword research is that the source of their data is what you call clickstream data. So it's basically third-party providers that are, you know, pulling information from all these free toolbars and, and sort of free products out there, um, whereas Key Search, they actually pay Google to access the data. So you're getting it straight from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I can think of some examples where, you know, I found a, a keyword in something like Ahrefs, like, oh, this is great volume and and great, you know, high volume, low difficulty score, the, the unicorns that we're looking for, and then I bring it back to key search and I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> no, that's actually that's actually not a very good keyword. So, you know, yeah. And, so
1: they can be misleading.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and these things are all tools, and, and all tools, you know, have limitations. Uh, I can think of a few examples where, unfortunately, Key Search got it wrong. It um, doesn't happen very often, but they they do occasionally get it wrong as well. And it's usually they've actually overestimated the volume of a keyword.
1: Oh, gotcha. Uh,
0: so we've gone, yeah, we've gone and contacted their support. So if I'm working through an audit with somebody and we we come across a really good keyword and then you go, okay, get the page set up, optimize, target it, get it into a top sort of three ranking. And you're like, where's the traffic? (laughs) Traffic's not there. Um, And then you kind of, you know, all right, what's going on here? One thing leads to another, end up talking to key search support and they're like, oops, sorry, we got that one wrong.
1: (laughs) Oh, wow.
0: It's pretty rare. It's pretty rare, but uh, that will happen to any tool.
1: Right, right. But when you spend so much time and energy <laughs> putting a post together and doing all of the stuff involved, you kind of want to yeah. know that that that's not going to be exactly. an oops.
0: Exactly. Oof. Exactly.
1: Yeah, so how do you recommend tracking all of the information, the keyword um, information?
0: Yeah, so so once you've got your your content made, you're optimized for the keyword, uh, it's super important to understand you know how you're ranking uh, if you're using key Search, I think the first plan gives you 80 keywords that you can track for free as part of your as part of your plan but most people will pretty quickly will pretty quickly run out of space there uh, so I recommend a tool called serp robot uh, serrp robot.com and I think it's Five bucks a month for three hundred keywords.
1: And can you talk through what that does exactly?
0: Oh, okay. So we're so we're basically tracking um, the ranking of your page by keyword, or re- tracking the keyword ranking. Um, so after you you do your keyword research, you you publish the post. You then want to actually track your movement up through the Google rankings. Um, and it's super, super important to understand, you know, if you get, if there's a Google update, like we just had a little while ago, uh, or is it a holiday, Is the sun's started to shine in the US and everybody's outside, like trying to diagnose a traffic drop in, in Google Analytics, if your traffic drops, but if you're trying to diagnose that and you don't have ranking data, you don't have historical ranking data of your keywords, it's really, really hard um, because you know it could be a change in Google or it could be a change in the searchers. Like they may not be in front of their computer on a on a holiday or something like that.
1: So, these tool this tool helps to determine what's going on.
0: Yes. Yeah, so, so you basically you, you copy your keyword into this tool, uh, and depending on how you have it set up, it will track your position like say once every twenty four hours and then and then graph it for you. So you can see a graph of your keyword position over six months to a year.
1: Yeah, that's very helpful. I have never heard of that. I'm gonna check that out. SERPRobot.com.
0: That's it. Yep. Yep. There's there are tons and tons of keyword uh, rank tracking tools out there, but that's one of the better ones that I've found in terms of affordability and, and function. Uh it's, it's really easy to copy and paste a, a list of keywords. So if you're using a spreadsheet uh, to track all your keywords in, you can. it's really easy to copy and paste them all in there.
1: I'm going to ask you one more question about keyword research. What are your thoughts about how we sort through keyword volume and difficulty? Because I know this can be a huge stumbling block for a lot of food bloggers. What are your quick thoughts on that?
0: Um, I think it's really important to understand the difficulty score that your site can rank for. And uh, Key Search will give you some indication of that. Um, personally, maybe not be surprised, I like to calculate it myself from the data. Um, but yeah, it's really important that you're producing content which uh, of course has search volume, but also is has a difficulty score that you can rank for. And if you're, if the keyword you're going after has a difficulty score that's way too high for your site, unfortunately, you're just, you're just not going to rank for it.
1: So key search, I know, gives you kind of a number when you punch in your site. Do you want to aim at all above that number? Or do you want to go that number and below? Or how do you determine that?
0: Um, That's probably a bit of a trade off if you find a fantastic keyword, but uh, it's a little bit above that number you know, uh, go for it, if that's all you can find. Um, but ideally, you would stay below that number. Uh, ideally, ideally, you go as low as possible. So the lowest possible difficulty score and the highest possible volume is where you get the traffic from.
1: That's the magic right there. That's been my strategy yeah. this year. And it's paid yeah. off. It's been really good. Yeah, so I love that.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is it really is the formula, you know, to, to getting Google traffic. Um, social media is a completely different beast, and I don't I don't even know anything about social media. I don't do anything there, but yeah, it's I just see a lot of. Sometimes I see people that, you know, I guess people are all over the the spectrum in terms of how far into key, keyword research they are. Um, sometimes people don't do any keyword research, so so we have to start right at the beginning and. Uh, um, you know, go from there.
1: I'm kind of jealous that you don't do social media. I kind of wish that I could say that because it's very time consuming (laughs) at times and frustrating and all of those things. I've actually considered just like deleting all social media, but yeah, that's another, that's another discussion. (laughs) Another day. Yeah.
0: and, I mean, Pinterest used to be a huge source of traffic for people. Uh, I would see it, you know, going through the analytics, you'd see huge amounts of Pinterest traffic, but that's just been been dropping off for 12 months, 18 months now.
1: Yeah, I yeah. I used to get massive Pinterest traffic for years. And then you mentioned in your bio how one update kind of upended a lot of your blogs. That's what yep. <laughs> that's what happened to me with Pinterest in oh gosh oh, I think no. it was 2017 or 2018 there was a big update overnight all of my traffic was gone so then I oh, was no. like oh I better learn what this SEO stuff is all about and and <laughs> enter that world so that is when I started yep. learning and it's been really helpful it's been quite a journey but it's so worth it to dig in and learn
0: yeah it's a it's a big complicated beast, but, um, you know, it's, I think the fundamentals are probably easier to pick up quickly, Um, you know, but if you do something like, if you're trying to get every tiny little SEO advantage you can and, and stack them all up on top of each other is when you really see the gains. Um, and it's a it's a big it's a big thing.
1: Okay Carl last but not least I want to ask you about this Google core update that was just released at the end of May of 2022. What are your insights on that?
0: Yeah so May 25th Google came out and said surprise core update for everybody um, And so at the time and they said it will take somewhere between one and two weeks to fully, Fully ro- roll out, and and when we're actually recording this, this, the two weeks hasn't gone by yet, so it's a bit early to tell. Uh, some of the preliminary things that I've been tracking, it looks like uh, some YMYL sites, so your money, your life, uh, medical, finance, you know, things which require huge amounts of expertise to to be authorities on. They look to be have have been affected again. Uh, affiliate sites, so so content that's put out really just to attract um, keywords to drive people to affiliate websites looks to have been hit as well. So these things are are not your your typical food bloggers, um, and often you know I find people who've gone through um, an audit or gone through any sort of exercise where they're really focusing in on producing high quality content, uh, they actually often benefit from core updates. So, so I, I don't think core updates are something to be afraid of. Um, you know, the last one we had was, uh, was it November or December of last year? So this is actually our first one for 2022. Um, but I welcome them because, because I just see high quality sites, high quality content, keyword research, you know, um all my audit customers who are following all the recommendations in the audits then actually do quite well out of core updates.
1: I have a few friends in the food blogging space who seem to have been hit really hard with this update, and they do produce really high quality content. Could it be a fluke? Could it just have been something else that coincided? Are you seeing anything like this with other food bloggers right now?
0: I did. I did see some traffic drops, um, but they coincided with a U.S. holiday. They coincided with some some U.S. current events, which seemed to actually take people away from the from the computer. And that's where it comes back to the rank tracking data. Like, if you're if you're still holding you know position one for the keyword and you had it last month and you still have it this month after the core update. Then you haven't that keyword hasn't been affected. Um, so that's what I was saying before about why it's so important to track those rankings. Uh, yeah, the traffic might be down, but it could be Pinterest. You know, you could have gone further into the Pinterest dumpster fire or something else um, might be actually the cause of the traffic drop, not necessarily a Google update.
1: Yeah, I think that's episode will be helpful for those people um because it's been really frustrating it's you know the game i mean you put out good quality content over and over you pour your heart and your soul into your content and then it just like <laughs> it takes a dip and it's so hard
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and if, if you're not necessarily done though right, once you make the content you know you you've got to build links to it um be they external links or, or internal links from your site, internal linking is so important as well. Um, so, you know, not surprisingly, this is something I, I export into spreadsheets and you know I look at columns and, and lists of links and I can see every single page on your site, what other pages on your own site are linking to it and what's the anchor text and, you know, uh, some really interesting patterns emerge out of that.
1: How much time do you spend? A valid, like, let's say, just talking about your own sites that you've managed in the past. How much time do you spend tracking all of this and investigating?
0: Um, probably too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess it's one of those things. Once you once you have it set up, it's it's fairly self sustaining. You know, things like rank trackers. It's just a matter of getting the the right keywords in there um that kind of link data i was talking about requires like crawling the sites with with seo software and then doing spreadsheet manipulation so yeah there's several hours of work there but but it's definitely worth the time yeah
1: the upfront time is well worth it in the end yep. sounds like yeah, all right sure. is there anything we're missing carl that we need to talk about before we start saying goodbye
0: uh not that i can not that i can think of i hope i hope this has been been useful for everybody um yeah let's let's catch up again at some point in the future when we know a bit more about ga4 and uh and see how it's going
1: yes sounds great well thank you so much for joining me today and for sharing all this value with food bloggers we appreciate you
0: thank you for having me on it's been a pleasure
1: I love to ask all my guests if they have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with.
0: Uh, Yes, I do have one. So, you know, talking about GA4 is obviously a big change um, and change is something to to be welcomed. So I have a nice quote from Barack Obama, which says, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones that we've been waiting for we are the change that we seek.
1: Oh, that's good. I love it when people kind of tie the quote into the topic, which you totally did. So that was great. We'll put together show notes for you, Carl, with all of the amazing stuff we've talked about. We'll put links to all the th- things that you referred to as well within your show notes. And we will put those at eatblogtalk.com forward slash digital. That's just U-K-U digital. So tell everyone where they can find you Online, not on social media, I'm assuming, but wherever else they can find you.
0: Uh, I am on. I am on Facebook. Uh, I'm quite active on on Facebook sometimes. Um, but my website Uku Digital, ukudigital.com, ukudigital uh, digital.com contact form. There is probably one of the best ways to get a hold of me, or um, or Facebook, but uh, email. Uh, my email is carl at ukudigital.com.
1: Awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Carl, for your time today. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.